Hi everyone, good afternoon. Welcome to the August 2020 uh, construction webinar. Um, where has this year gone? I can't believe it's August already. Summer is almost coming to an end, unfortunately. Um, we've covered a lot in our webinars this year and we're gonna continue to cover, cover a lot more. Uh, for those of you who are returning, um, thank you for joining me again. For those of you joining me for the very first time, uh, my name is Tashia Rasool. I'm a partner here at Lois Law Firm. Um, I oversee the construction practice team here at Lois. Uh, my team handles exclusively workers' compensation uh, claims that arise out of construction falls. Um, the focus of the webinar this year has been only in construction claims and coordinating uh, defense with um, general liability claims. So every month I've been going through a different topic. So thank you for joining me. Uh, most of you know, if not everyone, this year new to Lois and my first book. I've published the construction defense uh, handbook. It's um, it covers pretty much everything you need to know about defending construction workers' compensation and general liability claims in New York. We have them in hard copies, and we also have PDF copies. If you'd like to have a copy, feel free to send me an email, give me a call, and I'll get you one. Um, so let's, uh, let's get right into it. What are we gonna discuss today? So we're going to talk about workers' compensation uh, milestones general general liability milestones that we should be aware of and that we should take action when these milestones are approaching or whether they've approached and remember this is a live webinar i know you can't see my face but i'm here live and um, in the end there will be a q a session so if you have any questions about what i discuss here today or if you have any questions about any um, construction claims in general please feel free to type them in the box that looks like this. And I will provide an answer. If we run out of time, I'll email you or I can give you a quick call if you leave your phone number. Um, uh, so let's, uh, let's get into it. Now, I wanted to do a quick recap of what we've done so far this year because we're coming down to the home stretch. We're gonna be talking about settlements next month, which is kind of a, an animal of its own, but today wraps up um, the, the, the bulk of the, the coordination as it pertains to actual litigation of the workers' compensation and the general liability claims. So this year, like I mentioned, um, the, the focus has been on construction claims only. And why have we been focusing on this? It's because the claims are unique and they're costly. We talked about the goals, the main goals are effective litigation and reduced costs. Uh, I went through the very boring general liability and workers' comp laws back in the spring, just to go over the basics of what we focus on and the laws that, you know, govern what we do and help and not so much help us at times. Um, I talked about the wrap-ups, the OSIPs and CSIPs, 99% of the construction cases that uh, we see in our office, they are part of a wrap-up. And, um, you know, I've talked about uh, how they how they work, the key parties, how they reduce costs. 
And I've also talked about coordinating defense before and after the loss. I think we're all, um, you know, pretty intrigued by the fact that we can actually start doing this even before there's a loss. And I think there's a lot of value into doing that. And uh, last month we talked about legal issues and coordinating defense like collateral estoppel and disclosures and HIPAA issues and so forth. Um, just as a reminder, all of the prior videos, the webinars, they are on our website. So you can go back if you missed any and you want to play catch up, you can definitely go back and watch them there. They're archived. All right, so let's get into what I want to talk about today, the milestones and communicating when there's a milestone. So what's, what's really the importance of the milestones? Now, something I've mentioned over and over again, and I think we really, really need to keep in mind is that workers' compensation and general liability claims, they move at a very different pace. Workers' comp, we can have an accident and a compensability trial, everything completed in 90 days. General liability, on the other hand, we can be at permanency in the workers' compensation claim and general liability is now starting up. That's how much of a difference it is. Um, so since the workers' compensation claims move so quickly, decisions have to be made much more quickly. And it really has to start from day one. The milestones that we're gonna talk about involve some type of a development in either the workers' comp or the GL claim, um, some type of dis discovery. We've obtained some information such as a subpoena response or roof taking testimony or you know we got just got a new IME. Um, the, 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 the milestones are important because the development or the discovery can be used in the other claim. So whatever we get in workers comp it can be used in a GL claim, whatever we get in GL claim can be used in workers comp. Uh, best practice that I've talked about probably at every webinar so far Workers' comp and general liability counsel really should be assigned from day one. In as much as the general liability claim is not usually filed until much later, as we've seen with the wrap-up programs, they're usually a panel assigned, and when a claim comes in, they're you know the attorney is selected, and they're being placed in notice just in case the claimant actually files a claim, and you know, workers' comp, I think you should get us involved in the very first day, the first uh, notice of an accident, so we can help guide the investigation and um, the decisions that are going to follow thereafter with regards to compensability of the claim. <clears throat> All right, so I'm gonna go through some of the workers' comp milestones. Um, they might already be familiar to you, but we think, I think these are the important ones that we really need to pay attention to, they're time sensitive, and if not followed, I think you know they could potentially be detrimental to the workers' comp claim, and then we wouldn't have much to assist in the GL claim. So with regards to determination of compensability, the threshold issue is the employer's knowledge. Now, some employers may know about the injury immediately. I mean, if an accident occurs on the job site, the employer is present, whether through the super or the foreman or the GC, someone knows. And, you know, the, those are the cases where we know there's a legit accident. Um, and then there, 
you know, there's also the 30 day written notice via the C3, which the claimants don't often file and we have to request it when the hearing comes around or, you know, they file it after they've been reprimanded or they've been fired or, you know, they decide to just like make up the job that when when the first notice comes from the C3 and it comes you know, even if it's 30 days after, oftentimes it's more than 30 days after, it just makes investigation harder. It makes us questions, question the claim. But anyway, employer's knowledge is a threshold issue that um, <clears throat> triggers some timeline for us. So what are these timelines? So for an accepted claim, there's the 1810 rule, we call it for section uh, 25.1. So if it's being accepted, the payment must be remitted and the insurance carrier must report to the board on or before 18 days of lost time from work or 10 days after the employer has knowledge of the loss, whichever is greater. So again, knowledge of the loss is going to be dependent on whether the employer knows and the date happened or he knows like the week after or two weeks after, okay? Um, for the denied claims, 1810 rule, I mean, we should be making a decision for um, w within these uh, time frames also, and this is for section 252A of the workers' compensation law. But the most, the, the more uh, common deadline that we are faced with in the workers' compensation claims is within 25 days of the EC84, the notice of indexing. This usually buys us more time because Oftentimes, especially in these construction claims when there are multiple employers and the board's still trying to figure out coverage, or the claimant doesn't even know who he was working for and just put like anyone on his C3, um, this get, the, 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 the EC84 sometimes isn't filed until maybe a couple of months after. Sometimes the EC84 isn't filed until after the first hearing. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, you know, we'll, we still have enough time to timely deny the claim. And this is the one that the board really focuses on. If a denial, whether it's a FROIA 4 or a STROIA 4, is not filed within 25 days of the notice of indexing, our defenses can be waived. And that would really negatively impact our um, denial of the claim and litigation of the claim and the chances of a successful um, outcome a trial. So these are these are the you know these are the time frames that we should keep in mind. Um, and as it pertains to general liability like collaborating with them, when we're making this decision on the workers comp and we should be letting general liability adjuster or the attorneys know, hey, we're going to accept this claim or we're going to deny the claim. Especially for the denied claims that you know, it's 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 way more urgent because we need the investigation to get going. All right, so the pre-hearing conference. So this is this applies to denied claims. This is scheduled when the denial is filed and claimant submits medicals. So if the claimant doesn't submit any medicals, the board will not schedule a pre-hearing conference. Uh, something to remember, the carrier must file a PH 16.2 10 days before the pre-hearing conference, or again, some of our defenses are going to be waived. Um, 
So, you know, as, so as soon as the determination is made that the claim is going to be denied, as soon as the cases are referred to us, even if there are no medicals submitted, our office is in the practice of filing the PF 16.2 immediately. Um, so it's with the board in the board file, and we have uh, successfully met that 10 days requirement. So definitely have your counsel, as soon as you tell them you're going to deny a claim, let them file the denial of pleadings. We don't want to miss that deadline. Okay. At the pre-hearing conference, um, we have to be prepared to make an offer of proof of every defense raised. We should, your attorney should be prepared with statutory and case citations. I think it makes the denial uh, much, um, much um, more credible and stronger. And it also sets up, it sets up the, the, the way your case is going to be litigated because I can tell you, your adversary, our adversary, they're never prepared with anything to rebut any of our defenses at the pre-hearing conference. Um, we should also be listing our medical witnesses, you know, reserve the right to get an IME, to produce the IME doctor for deposition, and request cross-examination of the doctor that the claimant's relying on for PFME. And very, very important, we need names of lay witnesses. Um, we need to list them in the P at 16.2. And oftentimes, we don't have the witness names because uh, the claimant didn't list any in his C3 and our investigation hasn't been completed, which is the reason one of the things I've been stressing at every webinar this year is that the investigation needs to start from the very first day. And, you know, it doesn't have to be like a big full-fledged investigation. It can be simple as collecting um, any incident reports from the from from the, the job site, right, from the super or the foreman, getting any records from the medic on board, um, talking to anyone who worked with the claimant on the day that he alleges the accident happened, um, and any names that we can get, it, it, it's helpful. And we need to list them on the PH 16.2 or we could be precluded from producing the witnesses. So it's really important investigation um, starts from the very first day. And, you know, given all of the information that we need to put in our P at 16.2 and that we're going to need to present at the pre-hearing conference, this is why it's important to be coordinating with GL counsel to see what information they have. Because most times the GL attorneys are the ones who are speaking with the investigation uh, company to get the investigation done and they have all of the reports. So we need all of those reports. We need the information that's um, going to help us prepare for the pre-hearing conference. All right. Okay. The compensability trial. So after we go to the pre-hearing conference, the cases are supposed to be placed on the expedited calendar, which means a trial within 30 days of the pre-hearing conference. Now, 30 days is not a lot of time. It's not a lot of time for like a regular comp, uh, workers' comp claim, and it's certainly not a lot of time for a construction claim where there's so many parties involved, so many moving parts, so many fraudulent claims where an accident never even happened, and so many instances where the claimants just don't want to work anymore, 
and they're claiming that they've had backache and it turns out they've been having this issue for like 10 years where we need to delve into their medical history. We can't do all of that in 30 days. Also, especially considering with the trial being set on the expedited calendar, the IME must be obtained 27 days before the expedited trial. Now, there's not enough time to subpoena prior records to send to the IME doctor. Um, the IME doctors are booked. It's hard to get the IME booked within the statutory requirements and for the doctor to produce the report by the 27th day or even the 30th day at the trial. Depositions, medical depositions have to be completed within 55 days of the pre-hearing conference. Again, this is, it's just not enough time for us to fully investigate and develop the record. So my recommendation, cases can be removed from the expedited calendar and it's usually the complex cases. Now, the judges and even the adversaries, they, for them, complex cases are really like occupational cases where you where where it's it's an, a given that you have to like go into the history of the claimant's medical condition and treatment and so forth. But the argument that your attorney should be making that we're always making at the pre-hearing conference is that this is a construction claim. Yes, the accident, the alleged accident, may be the claimant fell off a scaffold, but you know. There are, so, there are so many parties involved. The claimant hasn't even clarified who exactly he works for or, you know, who saw it or, or who, who, um, who he told about the accident or he didn't report it to the employer until uh, two months later or he's not pursuing the claim until six months later. Judge, come on, what's going on here? Like this needs to be removed from the expedited calendar because the carrier is being prejudiced in that they're not able to fully investigate the claim and present a defense. Um, we've been successful in most cases. In the majority of the cases, they're set, um, they're, I'm sorry, they're removed from the expedited calendar, which is very helpful. But you know, even removal from the expedited calendar, setting a trial in like 60 days or 90 days, the time just goes by so quickly. So we have to be on top of everything. Um, other workers' compensation milestones would be if the IME report comes in, when we get a new IME report, there's a surgery request and approval. Medical depositions, this is depositions of the doctors, whether it be on um, degree of disability, cause of relation, permanency, claimant's testimony and trial proceedings. So as we all know, uh, and in any workers' comp hearing, where we will be taking the claimant's testimony or a witness's testimony, it's considered a trial. So in the very beginning of a denied case, you have the compensability trial, but we would have other trials throughout uh, where we request to take the claimant's testimony. So anytime the claimant has testified about whatever the issue is, whether it's the mechanism of injury, um, you know, degree of disability, prior treatment, they were market attachment, uh, functional and vocational capabilities uh, for the purposes of LWEC. All of the, the, the testimony that's accumulated, that can definitely be shared with General Liability Council. Um, if there's been a, a major change in the case, there's been a suspension of benefits, whether um, we prevailed on an IME finding no ongoing disability or 
uh, labor market attachment or fraud. Change in medical status, the claimant has reached MMI or permanency. And uh, 114A findings, the section 114A fraud findings where um, we've gone through the trial. It's, it's generally usually done because of surveillance obtained, but you know there are other ways that we can pursue fraud also, other kinds of investigation, or we discover that the claimant lied under oath, um, and benefits are ultimately suspended. I think this is a very major milestone that should be shared with General Liability Council. All right, so let's go over some of the General Liability Defense milestones that we on the workers' comp side really should be aware of, you know, and so as I've been going through the webinars every month, I've been trying to focus on, you know, the, the importance of workers' comp professionals, whether it's the attorneys, the claims handlers, you know, the carriers, the TPAs, even those on the workers' comp side of the, the OSIP administration. It's very important for all of us to understand how general liability works, what goes on, what the main terminologies are, what, you know, how, what they need to defend their case, what can be used in our end, um, what we can provide them to defend their case, and vice versa. I think uh, general liability professionals really should understand how comp works. So that way collaboration is um, uh, effective and it actually works. So here are some general liability defense milestones that we should be aware of. Every time we hear these words, we should start saying, oh, wait, we need to talk to the GL adjuster or GL counsel. So the filing of a complaint or a notice of claim, uh, that's the beginning of the general liability claim. For public entities, uh, the 50H hearing, this is a sworn testimony of the claimants within 90 days. Um, this uh this this takes place uh it's it's like a deposition uh the claimant is asked questions about what happened where it happened his background his history his family um you know his medical conditions and so forth just for the public entity to get an idea of what exactly his claim is and you know what exactly needs to be done next and i'll talk a little more about the 50h hearings uh, later in the webinar, but those transcripts can be extremely useful in the workers' compensation claim. The preliminary conference that goes on the GL side, it's, um, you know, everyone getting together to hash out the issues, talk about uh, discovery, setting discovery dates and deadlines. When we hear about one of those coming up, I think we should be asking, like, what exactly is going to go on? When do we expect discovery to be completed? And, you know, we gauge it in connection with our workers' comp claim to see how we can use any information from it. Interrogatory responses, we don't, we don't serve those on, in workers' comp. I mean, our interrogatory responses are generally taking the claimant's testimony in court. Medical records received, so general liability usually subpoenas medical records also the same way we do. Um, I think it's, it's important to know what their plan is for subpoenaing medical records because oftentimes we subpoena the same medical records in the workers' comp and, you know, one of the goals is to really reduce costs and like to avoid uh, duplicate efforts. 
So as soon as we're issuing subpoenas, we should be telling GL, hey, we're subpoenaing these five entities. We should have the records that we made a part of the workers' comp files. You'll get them. But there are times when we're not aware of a, a facility or we haven't gotten a response and GL goes ahead and they do it. So they should be telling us also that they've received medicals um, and you know the information is shared within disclosure rules, of course. Depositions are very important also. So in addition to the 58 for public entities, or even if it's not a public entity, depositions are taken of the claimant, um, their lay witnesses, and their medical witnesses. So in particular, we're, we're usually interested in the claimant's um, testimony, what exactly he's telling them, because usually they have the opportunity to go more in depth with the claimant. You know, everything in workers' comp is so expedited, so a lot of times we're limited uh, we only have an hour for this, uh, you know, to take the claimant's uh, testimony in a workers' comp court, whereas in general liability, depositions can go on for days. So we like having those transcripts, and we like them much more even because they are sworn statements, so we can pursue fraud in workers' comp when they're lying. Uh, media, uh, mediations. Mediations are really, really important. Um, Towards the end, I'll talk a little more about why, why I think uh, it's important for us to be involved in them. But this is where the parties are going to talk about settlement. And I've attended a ton of media mediations where the general liability attorneys are not fully aware of what's going on in comp. And they are presenting incorrect information to the mediator and it, it, it's just not working and I'm sitting there and I have to correct everyone. So from the moment you hear settlement or mediation, I think our ears should perk up and we should say, oh wait, GL attorney, we need to talk. Like, what do you need from me? I can tell you everything about the comp. Let, you know, let, let me be there at the mediation. Um, I'll be a fly on a wall, I'm just gonna listen, but if anything seems weird, I'm going to correct it, okay? Um, so those are, those are mainly the, those are the important general liability defense milestones that every time we hear that something like this is going on, we should be asking more. And anytime these milestones are reached, general liability defense counsel should be contacting your workers' comp counsel to uh, discuss them. All right. So, all right. I'm stating the obvious here. What should be happening at the milestones? Workers' comp and GL should be communicating. Sorry, I didn't mean to state the obvious. But, um, you know, both the adjusters and the attorneys should be communicating uh, in both, uh, pretty much all of our construction claims where there's a, a, a wrap-up program. The OSIP or the CSIP uh, administrative professionals are also part of the call and um, are having discussions as well. Now, what exactly should be done? Strategy should be discussed, right? Um, whatever the new information is, whatever the milestone is, it should be presented. Everyone should have an understanding of what it means for whichever side it's coming from, whether it's workers, workers' comp or general liability. 
and there should be a discussion of how this information can be used on either the individual cases or in like the other case right so for example in workers comp if there's a if there's a finding of fraud we should be able to explain to all parties what exactly this finding means and then um, general liability counsel should be able to explain how this could be used strategically in their claim to mitigate the damages um, and to reduce costs in their claim. And just a reminder, information should be shared within restrictions. I went over some of these restrictions uh, last uh, in the last webinar. There's, um, you know, HIPAA considerations, um, transferring the information, you must get a release in order to transfer uh, certain medical information, and a word and surveillance. Be very, very, very careful about surveillance. And the reason is, once GL knows about surveillance, they have the duty to disclose it. On workers' comp, we know about surveillance. We can choose to disclose it or we can um, deep six it, okay? When we're disclosing it, it's either to pursue fraud um, or to like provide to an IME doctor for them to comment on degree of disability or even the need for a surgery. Hey, this guy is requesting like an ankle surgery and he's running the marathon, like seriously. Um, be careful. So be careful with sharing information about surveillance. Uh, oftentimes, you'll hear your GL attorneys saying, "I, you know, if if you're doing surveillance or whatever's going on, you can't tell me about it because then it's just going to ruin my case." And I think we should keep that in mind. Um, I think the appropriate parties who can actually discuss the surveillance should make the decision as to whether to disclose it to general liability. Okay, so, all right, so let me tell you some examples of how we've been successful in using these milestones to strategize, to move cases forward, to shut cases down, to minimize exposures, to get uh, GL demands down from millions of dollars to just hundreds of thousands of dollars with a zero dollar section 32. The initial on-site investigation, it provides a lot of information that can be used in the workers' compensation claim, especially denied claims. Witness names, right? Usually witness statements are obtained where the witnesses actually sign them. If they're not in English, they're translated, so it makes it easier for you know, everyone to access um, information about the mechanism of injury. This is very important when we're contesting that an accident occurred or that an accident occurred the way the claimant said it occurred, or body parts, you know? So if he's saying that um, something, if, if, he, if he's saying that he fell off the scaffold and he hit his head, his back, um, his neck, his knees, and after the investigation, we're seeing that, oh, um, a hammer just kind of like, scraped his face when you know he was a little clumsy and got his face in the way when he's trying to like hammer a nail where are we getting all of the neck back um head and the knee injuries from right so we can use information that comes from the on-site report to contest that and obviously if he's lying about the mechanism of injury we can pursue fraud in that front also 
which we've been successful in doing. So the 50H transcripts and the depositions, these are golden in workers' comp for pursuit of fraud, for contesting body parts and mechanism of injury also, because in the 50H hearing, he has testified about what exactly happened, what he's claiming, what's hurting, what's been hurting him 20 years now. And in workers' comp, he's trying to get that back injury into the claim, which there was no actual back injury as a result of our job or result of any accident, but he's had like degenerative conditions for 20 years now. So we have been successful in um, producing these 50-ish transcripts. Remember, they're sworn statements from the claimants. Then we take his testimony in workers' comp also, which is also a sworn statement. And when they contradict, we say, judge, listen, this guy's clearly lying. He's being fraudulent. And we've had wonderful results using um, these uh, sworn statements from general liability. So I think it's very, very important whenever we know that these depositions are happening, get the transcript. We might not need them right away. Six months from now, we might need them, but we need to keep them in our file, hold on to them, okay? Um, they can also, um, I'm sorry, so prior records subpoenaed could also be used in general liability claims to mitigate damages. We're usually subpoenaing the medical records much more quickly on the workers' comp side, um, especially in the denied claims where we want to get it to the IME in the very beginning for him to provide an opinion and causal relationship. So those are those become a part of the workers' compensation file. So when you get the the, the, the release from GL saying, hey, turn over your workers' comp file, all of those are gonna be in there. A lot of GL defenses are, um, well, not a lot, but you know, some of GL defenses are based on the fact that this claimant has had pre-existing conditions over the years and like nothing happened on a job site, especially in the cases where they're not really claiming like an aggravation, um, and they can they can be helpful in uh, mitigating damages on the GL side, which could be much more significant than the indemnity or even the medical exposure on the workers' compensation side. Fraud findings can be used in general liability claims to reduce exposure also. So remember with the fraud findings in the workers' comp, we're always pushing for permanent suspension of benefits. Even if we don't get a permanent suspension of benefits, it definitely goes to claimant's credibility. And credibility means a lot on the general liability side. So when I get a fraud finding, when anyone on my team gets a fraud finding, we are, you know, ringing bells and blowing whistles and telling the adjuster and contacting the GL attorney and say, hey, this is a big deal. This is what's going on. Um, we need to talk about it. We need to discuss how it's going to help in your general liability claim. And I've seen firsthand how the the, the use of a fraud um, argument plays out of mediation. So for example, I'm sitting at a mediation where I'm listening to both parties uh, present their statements to the mediator and the claimant's attorney is not mentioning anything about the fraud and then the defense attorney brings up the issue of the fraud and all of a sudden you see the mediator's face just kind of like changes. Like, what? What are you, what are you talking about? This, this guy lied about all of these things? They're not real? He lied about the accident or he said he was working? He was not working where he was caught working? It absolutely helps in the general liability claim 
and it should be communicated to the general liability attorney and they should be using it. So if your GL counsel is not using a fraud finding as part of their strategy, guys, talk to them, they should be using it. Um, surveillance obtained in workers' comp can be used in general liability also to mitigate damages, like I mentioned a little while ago. Um, we must do them subject to the disclosure rules. So don't talk about surveillance if you don't want your GL claim to be jeopardized, right? Um, let the appropriate decision makers, which would be like the OSIP administ uh, administ administration, um, let them make the decision as to whether to disclose the surveillance to the general liability side because they're going to have to turn it over and they're going to use it in defense of their claim. But all in all, surveillance obtained in workers' comp should be used somehow or the other, whether to whether as covert surveillance to um, pursue fraud after the claimant testifies or fine, we're just going to disclose it to everyone, uh, have the IME doctor look at it. Keep in mind though, and something I always uh, remind everyone is that pursuing fraud in workers' comp, even if we decide to disclose it without um, all of the in-depth testimony, if it's provided to the IME doctor and he reviews it, um, I'm sorry, if the IME doctor provides an IME opinion and then we obtain surveillance and he reviews it and he changes his opinion, we can definitely pursue fraud like that. Okay, it boasts his credibility. The claim applied to the IME doctor after reviewing the video. He doesn't have the disability he claims. So it's very important to use it to pursue fraud. And um, when we get that fraud finding, of course, let GL know. Um, the strategizing using milestones is also very, very important for the mediation. Like I just mentioned, um, I usually have a call with the adjuster and the general liability counsel, general liability adjuster, prior to mediation to discuss what their plan is, um, you know, what the claimant's demand is, what they value the case, what they're basing the value of the case on, and I present them with the most up-to-date information on the workers' comp side, you know. So it's anything from all of the established body parts, a surgery just that uh, was recently denied, um, any, also any like settlement demands on the workers' comp side could be useful because it's generally not the same attorney representing the claimants on the workers' comp and general liability side. Um, any fraud findings, permanency findings, IMEs that were good or bad, you know, that could hurt us. And remember, we're also sharing not only the, the, the good things in workers' comp, right? We're sharing also the bad things. We're telling GL that, hey, we don't expect this case to go the way we expected it to go when we assessed it three months ago because we now got this IME that didn't do a good job as finding a total disability and our action plan now has to change. We have to let GL know of this new action plan because the claimant's um, GL attorney, they're gonna bring it up saying, hey, their IME is finding a total, their IME just authorized the surgery. So we need to share the good and bad news with general liability. Um, so it's good for preparing for the mediation. And um, like I said, I think you should have your workers' comp attorneys at the mediation to help set the record straight. 
recently they've been doing mediations uh, virtually so i've been calling into them or appearing via skype or one of those uh um vid video medium and uh, participating in the mediation as well you're able to listen to both sides um, they do breakout sessions where defense is separated and general liability is separated and you can chat about what was just discussed and provide any updates it's also good for like lean information with regard to the actual settlement which i'm going to get into next month when we talk about global settlements so these are just some examples of how we've been successful in using milestones and strategizing with general liability counsel um guys i know it's it's a lot of things to keep track of it really is a lot of things to keep track of um but i think once you're able to and you keep these things in your back pocket you're able to better defend your workers comp claim you're able to help out the general liability side and as in the case where most construction claims are part of a wrap-up ultimately the owner um or the general contractor, if it's if it's a CSIP, is able to save costs to defend the claims properly and close out claims much, much sooner, which as we know, these construction claims can cost employers and owners millions of dollars every year. And just being vigilant about what's going on in the workers' comp claim, being aggressive about the defense, it can help save millions of dollars on the general liability side. We've seen it, it's, um, it's, it's really proven. We have many, many cases where we can provide examples of where it happens. It's just actually doing it, being alert. All right, um, so that's it for today's presentation. I hope I didn't bore you too much. If you already knew the stuff, great. If not, I hope you learned something. Um, Next month, so as you know, we're doing it the first Monday of every month, we're doing the webinar. Next month, the first Monday is Labor Day. Nice long weekend coming up. So we're going to do it on September 8th, which is the first Tuesday. Um, if for any reason you're too exhausted from the long weekend, remember, um, if you can't attend live, we are going to have it posted on our website and you can view the archived copy of it. All right. And we're going to be talking about global settlements. I think it's very important that we understand um, what exactly a global settlement is, the purpose of a global settlement, and how we can save the owner or the employer and the general contractor a lot, a lot, a lot of money, which is what our goal is to save our clients money and um, close our claims quickly. All right. So now it's time for live questions and answer. If you look at your um, screen, you can type your questions into the questions box. And I am going to take a look and see if anyone has any questions. Hmm. Oh man, I'm not seeing any questions. I hope it's not like a glitch in my end. Or maybe it's just a sign that uh, you know the presentation was great and everyone just understood everything i said so that, that that's always good it means that i'm explaining myself properly right anyway if you have any questions guys um send them to me send me a quick email i'll get back to you give me a call 
Um, I'd love to talk, you know, we're still semi-quarantining or, uh, you know, whatever's going on with this COVID situation. Um, as I mentioned, COVID, just a word on what's going on at Workers' Comp. We're still going through uh, comp like nothing happened. Um, things are starting to reopen. We're pushing the labor market attachments. IMEs are being scheduled. So if your cases, um, if you need IMEs in your cases, now is the time to schedule them. We see them coming in. And uh, construction sites are opening up again. So, you know, we should be pushing the claimants to go back to work. Um, all right. So there are no questions. Um, that's it for today, guys. I will see you all next month on um, September 8th, Tuesday. Please share the word, spread the word with everyone to join. If you'd like a copy of my handbook, let me know. I'll get it out to you. It's free of cost. I can send you a PDF copy if you'd like that also. Um, and just in general, if you have any questions regarding construction claims or any workers' comp claims, let me know. And I will be very happy to provide an answer to you. All right, until next month, see you all. Take care and be safe, everyone.